when you create sacred space, that space is set aside a little bit from what we would consider to be sort of our normal mundane space. And it's like the air feels a little bit heavier. You can feel the power, not in a fancy, splashy, you know, television kind of poof sort of way. It's more like if you're in a car and you're going up a mountain and your ears pop, you can feel like the difference between the altitude below and the altitude above. It's a little bit like that. It's that feeling of intensity and of being set aside from the regular world. And sometimes it's very quiet. And sometimes, especially if you have a, a powerful group of people working together, it can be pretty intense. And it's not especially if you're by yourself, it may be extremely subtle and people shouldn't feel like they're not doing it right if they don't sense a difference. Because it it really is one of those things that the more you practice, the more you notice it, the better your focus is, the better able you are to create this little sort of bubble of sacred space. But even if you can't feel it, it's still there. What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Peace, love, and all that good shit. What if Dolly Parton wrote us a theme song? Would it sound like this? Would it sound like this? Hippie Witch, season six. Woohoo! That was a good one. Hello! Thanks for joining me for episode 537 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com, where you will also find the show notes for this episode, including many links to the wonderful, magical Deborah Blake. And as a little holiday treat, and hopefully to get some new reviews going on my podcast, I thought we could do a giveaway. I have a copy here of the Eclectic Witches Book of Shadows, Witchy Wisdom, at your fingertips, written by today's podcast guest, Deborah Blake, and also created, co-created by Deborah Blake, the Everyday Witch Oracle Deck, which is such a good size. Can you hear that? It's still in the shrink wrap. And this is the way this is going to go. To anyone who leaves the Hippie Witch podcast a nice review on iTunes, and then also tells me about it. You have to email me at joannadevoe at gmail.com or you can grab my attention over on Twitter. I'm easy to get a hold of there too. I'm Joanna Devoe on Twitter. Just let me know you left me a review so I can put you in the giveaway drawing. And then December 15th, that's a Wednesday, I believe, I will go through all of the entries Pick one. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to pick favorites. I'll put the names in a hat. Pick one and march my butt on over to the post office to send the winner both the Eclectic Witch's Book of Shadows and the Everyday Witch Oracle. 
hopefully in time for you to enjoy it for the holidays. And if you're not familiar with Deborah Blake's work, this interview today is going to be an awesome introduction. And then I recommend going over to Google the Eclectic Witches Book of Shadows and the Everyday Witch Oracle so you can get a sense of the illustration style because this is a very specific style that a specific kind of witch is going to love. And I really want these things to go to somebody who is going to be super excited to win this giveaway. Partly because it's just more fun that way. And partly because it's a pain in the ass to go to the post office during the holidays and I want it to be worth it. <laughs> also, if you already happen to be a Deborah Blake fan, this giveaway is gonna thrill your socks. So I'm happy to do it. I think this is gonna be a lot of fun. I also wanna say a special, special thank you to those of you who reached out to me after last week's interview with Tess Whitehurst. I got some really kind, sweet, thoughtful messages with people saying thank you for keeping it real and for being vulnerable. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you for letting me know that you appreciate it. It's like an appreciation circle because it is weird kind of putting yourself out there that way to thousands of strangers on the internet, but I find it's almost always worth it. If you can get to a place where you're sharing for a purpose, when you're trying to share something that might be useful to other people, it's almost always worth it. And Thank you for letting me know because that will encourage me to go there the next time. And my goal is to create a podcast that makes your life better, that makes you feel better about yourself and the way you move through the world. And I'm always looking for new ways to do that. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know who you are. I appreciate it. Okay, so about this Deborah Blake character who is super fun and boisterous and feels so much like your friendly neighborhood witch. She's today's guest here on Hippie Witch. She also happens to be a very prolific writer of both prescriptive nonfiction and cozy witchy fiction, paranormal romance. She does it all. So this episode is dedicated to all the book nerds listening right now from one book nerd to another. This is for us. Yay us! Yay books! And because I know so many of you are also writers or aspiring writers, I asked her about her experience with that too. I personally love to hear about the writer's life and the ups and downs and ins and outs of the publishing process, which is especially interesting this year because so many releases got held up in the supply chain due to paper shortages and other weird pandemic things. So we start off talking about that in her newest book, which is part of this giveaway. And then we got to talking about her origin story as a witch and the Jewish heritage she was born into, which is a favorite subject of mine. I love to ask about my guests' religious upbringing or lack thereof, particularly when they're witchy. And it's always so interesting to hear how so many of us have explored like a whole variety of spiritual pursuits and philosophies like Taoism and Buddhism only to wind up at witchcraft <laughs> and how much those things have in common. 
she also speaks on how witchcraft is constantly changing and evolving and what that looks like in the world we find ourselves in today. And then also, I asked her specifically about this, what the benefits might be in joining or starting your own coven. If you've ever wanted to be a part of a coven, even just a coven of two, maybe just you and your best friend. This part of the interview is especially interesting. And then we talk more about writing. <laughs> oh, and also one more thing I want to mention before turning it over to Deborah is please stick around to the very end if you have a chronic illness or condition of some kind that you feel is slowing you down or if you just feel like a late bloomer, like you're running out of time or you've been working at the thing, whatever the thing is for you for a really long time and it's starting to stress you out, her tip at the end of this interview is especially for you. So without any further ado, have I rhymed enough during this intro? I feel like <laughs> it's very rhymy. Here is the magical Deborah Blake. Hi, Deborah. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Thank you so much for having me. You have a new book out and this is not new news because just about every year, maybe multiple times a year, <laughs> you have a new book out. Well, I, I everybody needs a hobby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I guess I average about one a year for Llewellyn and then I've got fiction books I put out and you know depending on the year there's one or two of those so yeah I'm really tired um, oh my gosh I, honestly yes. I'm so curious about that experience and so many people that listen here are either writers or aspiring writers oh, cool. and they're witchy so I definitely want to ask about that on their behalf yeah so the new book is the eclectic witch's book of shadows and it is well, I'm going to say it's gorgeous because I'm not at all prejudiced. It's my first hardcover book, which is really exciting. Oh. And it is fully illustrated, which is really cool, by uh, illustrator Mickey Mueller, who also did the really, really gorgeous cover. And it's so beautiful. When I decided I wanted to do this book, and of course, you know, I've, I've written a lot of books for Llewellyn. This is, I think, the 12th one, plus a witchcraft book for, you know, a different publisher. And I had this idea that was very different from anything I'd done before. I reached out to my editor, Alicia Gallo at Llewellyn and said, okay, I know you're going to think I'm crazy and you're going to say no, but just hear me out. I'd like to do a book of shadows that's full color so it looks like somebody like had an illustrated book that they drew pictures in themselves, but that also has spaces for people to add things. And then they said, yes. So, <laughs> well, I feel like you earned that. They have to Ralph. say, yeah, they have to say yes to you now, Deborah. They have to keep you on board because you're, you're so <laughs> prolific. Part of it is every time I finish the book I'm working on, I'm like, this is it. This is my last idea. I have no ideas for books. <laughs> this will probably be the last Llewellyn book because I've already written about all the things. So they, they kind of get excited whenever I say, oh, I actually thought of something. I haven't done a book of shadows yet. And it actually was sort of interesting because it turned out when I went looking for other books of shadows, I didn't find a lot. I was surprised there really were not a lot of 
books like this, and there certainly were none that had, you know, this kind of gorgeous illustration. And it was just a cool project to work on. And then, of course, I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've been paying attention to my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. The book didn't show up on time from the printers, which oh. is, hap well, it's happening to a lot of authors now. Publishing overall is having a huge problem. The same problem we're having with toilet paper and everything else, yep. which is that there's this supply chain issue. So the printers don't have enough paper and then there's not enough truck drivers to do the deliveries. So yeah, the book was supposed to be out last week on the 8th. And normally what happens is that the, you know, the crates of books show up in the Llewellyn warehouse about a month beforehand. They send me my author copies and then they, you know, send them off to places like Amazon and bookstores and, you know, so that they can get them ready to go out before the day of release. And I got to release day and they still were not in the Llewellyn warehouse. And, you know, I was checking in every day and going, well, where are they now? They're in Chicago. Okay, well, where are they now? And of course, uh, Llewellyn is located in Minnesota. They were stuck in the suburbs outside of Minnesota for three days. Nobody knows why. Oh. So finally, finally, this last Wednesday, which was a week after the release date. And of course, lots of people pre-ordered the book. And, you know, in theory, they're supposed to get it on release day and nobody, including me, got the book on release day. I got like a couple of advanced copies month, a month ago, but that was it. And uh, so now they have finally reached the Llewellyn warehouse and hopefully they will actually be reaching everybody else like literally any day now. But yeah, it's been a little, a little traumatic. I, I was so excited about my new book. And of course, as an author, you do all this promotional work, you know, two months out, you start talking about it. And then a month out, you do giveaways and, and you do podcasts and all of this stuff to prep people for the book coming out. And then the book doesn't come out and you have to go, uh, whoopsie. Uh. Um but because I knew it was happening, I was able to go online and tell everybody. I kept everybody, you know, alerted and went, okay, we're going to do a while we're waiting giveaway. And so I did this fun giveaway. Everybody seems to be pretty understanding and pretty patient about it. You know, I have the best readers. I mean, not again, not at all prejudiced, but I have the best readers. And they all basically went, oh, that sucks. You know, hopefully we'll get it soon. Yeah, you know, I have found readers really, particularly readers of witchy books. And I say that specifically because I love witchy fiction and I love witchy nonfiction. And I notice this crowd is generally super supportive of the authors. Oh, absolutely. Of the authors they love. And I, I hang out on Twitter. That's my favorite platform for social media. And there was, there has been threads going around of people talking about exactly what you just explained and it's cool to see the fans spreading that and sharing right. that about like there's no paper <laughs> and, oh yeah it's, you know, it's really crazy because this is all a new thing nobody's ever experienced this I mean yes uh, you know every once in a while there'd be something would go wrong you know, and, and your book wouldn't show up on time or there'd be a problem with the print run or something. But this is 
industry-wide at this point. And, you know, there's nothing anybody can do about it. I, I actually have a, a novel coming out in November and I'm like, oh, please let it actually come out on time. Hopefully you have enough time to, for the kinks to work out. I know that, like the whole industry is grinding hard on this particular, oh, yeah. you know, looking for the solution. So by November, maybe. Uh, maybe. Well, you know, I think, unfortunately, this is probably there. The experts in the industry are saying it's going to affect the holiday sales. They're basically telling everybody order stuff early, you know, because you just don't know. So I'm going to tell everybody if you want to give this as a Yule gift, order it early. A hundred percent. You should just order it right now. And right. I will say that is one of the things I wanted to mention when I was talking to you. This is a gift book. I have a copy. It is gorgeous. It is hardcover. It is everything that Deborah says it is. It's so pretty. <laughs> it's so pretty. I love that you can write in it too, because I'm a person who actually writes in my books, but that is something that people they approach me about and they're like, I can't do it. You know, I get right. this new fancy journal and I can't dare spoil it. Is, it, so. it is difficult, but yeah, we actually left spaces because the thing about a book of shadows, I think, is that it's a living, breathing, growing thing. You don't just get a book of shadows and go, okay, I've learned all the things I'm going to learn about witchcraft now. This is good. No, you get a book of shadows. And if you're lucky, you get a book like mine that has a list of stones and what they're good for and a list of herbs and what they're good for. But then you're going to use something that maybe isn't in the book and you're going to want to add it or you're going to use something, say you try amethyst for a love spell and it works really well and then you try it for a healing spell and you think well really when I used the lapis for the healing spell I thought it worked better so you can write yourself little notes about your own personal experiences and what you've learned and you know some people like to do like dream journals or write down like if they've done tarot readings and what the results were I wanted there to be space in here for you to add what your learning is, what your what your practical experience for your own practice is. So yeah, they did, and I mean, Llewellyn always does a wonderful job, but I really think they excelled themselves in this one. And I do think if you have somebody who's who's witchy or even sort of interested in witchcraft and isn't quite sure what they think. This is a great book to start with just because it's got so much basic information. Mm -hmm. Yep. And in a really accessible way, even the subtitle, Witchy Wisdom, that it's witchy. I feel like that yeah. is appealing to witch curious people. Right. I think witchy wisdom at your fingertips. And something I notice about all your books is there's a practicality and an acknowledgement of people's modern busy lives, not even just an acknowledgement. It's incorporated into your work, into the tarot deck and the Oracle deck that you co-created. It's oh, like, well, this is for us now. We aren't yeah, reenacting the old days. We're actually doing magic here and yeah, now we, today. We, yeah, we live, in, we live in this time. I mean, one of my more popular books is Everyday Witchcraft, making time for spirit in a too busy world, because exactly what you said, 
I had so many people say to me over the years, well, you know, I really wish that I were doing more with my witchcraft, but I'm so busy. And I have that problem myself. I have a day job and I'm writing books and I have a house and four cats to like boss me around. I don't have as much time for my own witchcraft as I'd like. So I've over the years found ways to do five minute rituals and integrate my magical practice and my spiritual beliefs into my daily life. If I'm going to cook dinner, I'm going to cook anyway. So why not do a little magic with that? So I'm an extremely practical witch. That's sort of my nature. I'm a Taurus for one thing. So mm. Okay, and, this and makes I, a lot of sense. <laughs> yes, now it now it all makes sense. And I also, you know, I try and write the books so that they're accessible. I don't want people to have to work to understand the things that are in here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I read some witchy authors who are deep and fascinating and they really make you think about stuff. And that is a great thing for certain people at certain times. I, I don't know about you. I can't read those kind of books this year because I don't have that much brain left. Mm. It's just like, <laughs> so, so yeah, I like, I like the simple and the, you know, the, the things that you can, that you can put in the bathroom and read when you have five minutes. Yeah. You know? I call it witching on the go. And, yeah. you know, I think it's great to learn. I feel like we need an integration period after you learn something really deep and profound. And then you have in between your life that you're living. Right. And I think the two can go together quite beautifully. And it's oh, about absolutely. like supporting yourself every day and staying in touch with whatever your interpretation of spirit is, like keeping that relationship alive daily. Yeah. What I tell people is that reading one of my books is like sitting down at the kitchen table with your friendly neighborhood witch, if you don't happen to have a friendly neighborhood witch. And yeah, you know, you can ask the, the questions and you can get the answers and explore the path in this very non-threatening, very accessible way. And one of the things that I say over and over again in my books that people seem to really like is there is no one right way to be a witch. There is no one right path. It's all what works for you. As long as you are not hurting anybody else or hurting yourself, as far as I'm concerned, do whatever you want. So yeah, if I say, okay, these are the things that I recommend you use this herb or this stone for, and you think, nah, that doesn't work for me. I like to use it for you know such and such. Well, then you're right. Of course so. And that's, again, a reason to have the, the spaces where you can write things down in the Book of Shadows so you can make it your own. Sometimes I agree with the Scott Cunningham books, most of the time, really. But every once in a while, there's something where I go, no, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to use that for that. I'm going to use it for this other thing, because that's what my gut says. Mm -hmm. And a lot of witchcraft is about listening to that little inner voice that says, oh, Deb is right. Yeah, or yeah. Or whatever it says. Mm -hmm. How, why, how did you get to be a witch? I know that, that you were raised Jewish because in yep. your book, you mention the magic of chicken soup and, and, that, and that jumped out at me, you know, like you were talking about broth, but I was like, yeah. 
Jewish and she's claiming that there's magical powers in this soup. So <laughs> hey, ask any grandmother. It's true. Yeah, it yeah. is true. Yes, I was raised Jewish and I love the heritage. I'm very proud of the heritage, but the religion itself never particularly resonated with me. It's very male centric, like most of those religions. Um and, you know, has that stern father figure God, which didn't, I'm like, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I spent a number of years sort of searching for the thing that was right for me. I went to the Unitarian Church for a while, which was very nice, but didn't have the spiritual thing I was looking for. And I studied Buddhism and Taoism. And that was close that mm -hmm. there were parts of those that I really loved and which are part of my practice today. But they, again, they didn't have a connection to deity. There's no deity in Buddhism. So, you know, I sort of was wandering around thinking, well, maybe there isn't a thing for me. Um, I guess you could say I was an agnostic. And uh, a woman that I knew kept inviting me to come to these things at her house. And I kept going, uh, uh, there's people there. I don't like people. Uh, and, and it sounds a little strange. And one Samhain on Halloween, uh, she said, oh, there aren't that many people coming this time. You know, you should you should come. You, I swear you're going to like it. And I said, oh, all right. And her idea of not that many people was about 30. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I walk into this house and there's people I don't know hugging me and saying things like Mary meat. And I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> and we had this lovely feast, which was very nice. And then we went out into the park that was next to her house for the ritual. And she cast the circle and something happened. I could feel the difference inside the circle from the outside of the circle. And I went, huh. And, you know, then they invoked the God and goddess. And I reached out the way I had been reaching out for years and somebody reached back. And that was it for me. You know, that was like, oh. And, and basically what I sort of heard in my head was, well, it was about time, you know, it was, uh, you know, the God and goddess were like, okay, you know, we've been waiting. We've been very patient. You know, it's about time you showed up and, you know, now get to work. And so that was, I'm going to say 26 years ago, something like that. I think I was in my late thirties and I'm 61 now. I don't know how that happened. And so, yeah, I, I joined that group and was with her group for about five, five and a half years. And then I went to her and said, okay, I think I'm ready to study to be a high priestess. And we did a, a year and a day of extra study. And, you know, I led a bunch of rituals, both in public, because they, they did that sort of thing. And in our own group, and then things went wrong and I left the group and I didn't really do anything for a little while. I sort of waited. I, I said, okay, I want to start my own group, but I'm not quite sure if I'm ready for that yet. And a year later, the right people came along, just two other women who had both been solitaries for 20, 30 years because they'd never found the group that suited them. And the three of us together started Blue Moon Circle in spring of 2004. And we are still practicing together today along with a few other people. I love it. You are stead fast. You started <laughs> been with the same coven now for 20 something years. You've been, which published. hardly ever happens really. <laughs> it's a miracle. It's a miracle yep. of magic. Well, 
We've had people who came and go and we've got, I think we got up to as many as 11 or 12 people. And we have some people who come sometimes to like visit for the bigger rituals, but yeah, the core group has been pretty steady. There was one friend who was what I call, you know, witch friendly and really wasn't sure. And she came for probably three or four years before she finally said, okay, I think I'm ready to really become official and join the group. And she's still with us. So I guess once I decide I'm going to do something, I, I usually do it unless there's a really, unless there's a reason not to. I mean, it's, it's not like I never stop doing things. Yeah. Well, I think when you find what you're good at and you're passionate about, that Taurus energy kicks in and you, you know, <laughs> steady, steady as she goes, one book well, and the other. <laughs> and yeah, I am, I am so rooted that it, I sometimes think it would take like a bulldozer to move me. You know, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. I do have to really work at remembering to change things up sometimes because it is easy to keep doing the same thing the same way. The book that I'm working on for Llewellyn right now, actually, is a really good example of that. The first book I did for them, which I wrote in 2005 and it came out in 2007, was called Circle, Covenant, Grove, A Year of Magical Practice. And that was based on the first year of leading Blue Moon Circle. And it had, you know, a year of full moons, a year of new moons, um, Sabbaths, and some basic advice for people who were starting a group or trying to figure out how to make theirs work or whatever. And that was sort of my go-to recommendation for many years when somebody said, I want to start a coven or, you know, I'm interested in being part of a coven. And I'd say, oh, well, go get that book. It occurred to me this year all those years later, that my practice as an individual has changed since 2005. Our group practice together has changed since 2005. And I think witchcraft practice in general has, I mean, it, first of all, it's a growing and changing religion. So it's, it changes all the time anyway. But I do think, you know, like you said, people have less time I think they're moving away from the sort of the formal Wicca approach. There are still plenty of people who are, who are using that and that's great, but I think there are a lot more sort of eclectic witches and I've moved from being what I would consider to be a Wiccan to being sort of eclectic with Wiccan tendencies, mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. So now what I'm working on is a book that's basically for today's coven, which I call magic for two or more, because I know some people who literally practice with the same one other person all the time, that that's their coven is two. I know people who practice with sort of an interchangeable group that's larger, the same people don't come all the time, but it's the same five people might come to this one and 10 people might come to this one. It's the same bunch of people, but it's not as cohesive a group. So I decided it was time to write an updated covening book for, for the people who are practicing, like you said, today, right now. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking back to what you said about how you could feel the energy in your first circle. Yep. And 
people who are curious about this on their behalf. And also, I'm just curious myself, like, what did that feel like for you? And then also, you know, you're talking about covens and modern witchcraft. And I think a lot of people, their practice is on the internet and they're alone. So can Mm. you talk about why someone might want to join a coven or have that experience and what it offers uniquely? Okay, question number one, what it feels like, I mean, it's hard to explain because it's not a tangible feeling, but what I find both on that first occasion and since is that when you cast a magical circle, especially with a group of people, because then it's pretty powerful, but, but even when you cast a magical circle just by yourself, which you know I do plenty of work on my own, that when you create sacred space, that space is set aside a little bit from what we would consider to be sort of our normal mundane space. And it's like the air feels a little bit heavier. You can feel the power, not in a fancy, splashy, you know, television kind of poof sort of way. It's more like, If you're in a car and you're going up a mountain and your ears pop, you can feel like the difference between the altitude below and the altitude above. It's a little bit like that. It's that feeling of intensity and of being set aside from the regular world. And sometimes it's very quiet. And sometimes, especially if you have a, a powerful group of people working together, it can be pretty intense. And it's not, especially if you're by yourself, it may be extremely subtle and people shouldn't feel like they're not doing it right if they don't sense a difference. Because it, it really is one of those things that the more you practice, the more you notice it, the better your focus is, the better able you are to create this little sort of bubble of sacred space. But even if you can't feel it, it's still there. And the second question was, why a coven? Yeah, like um, what do you think the unique benefits of someone? Here's the here's the funny thing about me and being in a coven. I am essentially a pretty solitary person. Most of the things that I do, I mean, I sit in a corner and I write. I read a lot. I make jewelry that I sell at the artist cooperative shop that I run. I am somebody who's actually pretty happy being on their own a lot of the time. And yet it turned out to my great shock and amazement that I am a group witch. I mean, I do, I do solitary witchcraft too, but I am really happy when I practice with other people, assuming they're the right people. I mean, when you go to a group that does not work for you, you will know it, it won't feel right, run away. You know, I mean, sometimes it's just that, like I, I've practiced with some folks in the area in my earlier years who just didn't have good focus. You know, they would chat during the ritual when they were supposed to be concentrating or, you know, they would come in under the influence of things and not be able to focus. So sometimes it it isn't necessarily that they're bad people. It's just that they're not good to practice with. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I have found being in a coven, it does help to sort of boost my focus, which can be a little scattered when I'm by myself you know, when I'm in a circle with other people, I don't really have any choice but to focus. When I'm by myself, it's too easy to get interrupted by the cat or start thinking about, you know, the chores I need to do. 
but it also and and admittedly you know this varies from group to group for some people a coven becomes like an extended family my group after having practiced together for this long we actually are a family i mean i've officiated at people's weddings and helped birth their babies and we take vacations together when we can with everybody's families we have an extremely special relationship. But even if you don't get something like that, there is something to be said for practicing with the same people. You get this bond and you it gets easier to work together. You know, you can fall into a pattern that's comfortable. And it also does, you know, have the potential to boost the energy of the work that you're doing. And it's fun. I mean, let's let's not forget about the fun part. You know, we I like to say we practice with reverence and mirth. And I think the mirth part, especially in a year like this, is very important. It's important to have fun and it can be fun to get together with a bunch of people. When we first started out, we used to to wear garb. You know, it was fun to dress up. It was fun to, you know, put on you know, your pagan jewelry, which you don't necessarily wear everywhere. I mean, I do, because once you've written your sixth book, you're pretty much out (laughs) of the broom closet. But, you know, you can feel comfortable with people knowing that they believe more or less the same things that you do. I mean, obviously, every witch believes a little something different. That's what's so much fun about this religion and this path is you get any four witches in a room and they don't any of them agree on exactly the same thing. But there is that bond, which you don't find a lot of other places. And I don't do a lot of internet witchcraft. I mean, I used to give classes, which was actually a blast. And I had to stop doing it because I was too busy writing books. But being able to connect with people who believe the things you believe is very empowering. On the other hand... I know lots of solitary witches who are perfectly happy being solitary. You don't need to be in a coven to practice witchcraft. Absolutely not. And if you have some people you can practice with online and you're happy with that, all the more power, you know, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I do think there's some human need for a community and exactly. And then, yeah, everything you said, magic is fun. (laughs) And the, that ability to focus, you emphasize that a few times. Mm-hmm. I think that also is something you can bring home. If you're practicing in a group and you feel everyone is committed to maintaining that focus for the language right. and ritual, you know, most people are going to want to <laughs> show up for that and do their best. And then you can bring that back home. And also when we get together for the Sabbaths, we have a feast and feasting is good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're all, you know, everybody brings something to share and breaking bread together is a very important human thing too. Having that communal meal, which if you have a a family that you live with, you get that all the time. Although, you know, it isn't always that much fun, but (laughs) you know, depends on if you have, I don't know, teenagers, whatever, but yeah, you know, there is something to be sitting down and just sharing a meal together and relaxing, you know, over food and possibly a glass of wine. So, so yeah, there, you know, there is that too. That being said, I know that for a lot of people, it is not that easy to find a coven. I mean, I live in rural upstate New York, 
and people are always asking me, you know, they, they come in, they see my books, they know who I am. And they say, well, you know, are there open covens? And there are, there are a lot of witches here, but they're mostly flying under the radar and there aren't any covens advertising that they're looking for people. You know, you have to drive about an hour from here to find open covens that, you know, are willing to take in new members. You know, Blue Moon Circle is, I, I call us mostly closed. We do occasionally add a new member, but it's usually somebody that one of us knows already who's finally found their way to us. Or, you know, we'll let people that we feel like their energy might mesh with ours, you know, come to one or two rituals and see. But we aren't, and we don't let just anybody come anytime. So it can be hard for people who live in, say, the deep South to find a coven. Yeah. I always say to that, if you have a friend that is curious, start a book club for two <laughs> and go from there, you know, and, and you can practice together, you know, what you're learning. And oh, could- yeah, coven doesn't have to be 13. You know, that's one of those things people think, oh, if I can't find a bunch of people to practice with, I can't have a coven. No, you find one other like minded soul start there and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. You said something about family too, which brought me back to you talking about four cats bossing you around. <laughs> <laughs> and I noticed, I noticed when I was like cruising around on your website, I already knew you wrote the little book of cat magic. And I was really excited to learn that you write paranormal romance, urban fantasy, and a cozy mystery series. And I'm like, there are cats everywhere everywhere Everywhere. and pets and animals like what is this lady this is this is a signature deborah blake thing well they make me my cat magic who unfortunately i lost a few years ago was my familiar and there are some of the llewellyn books that actually have like little bits of her wisdom because basically she was the boss of me and in fact you know the little book of cat magic was the last book that was written with her And when I was so bereft over losing her, people were lovely. They said, you know, this is her legacy because you can sort of feel her in every page. And it is true. I mean, I love cats. I have four. I love all animals. I mean, I I don't have a dog because my cats would kill me and bury me in the backyard. (laughs) And because they're a lot of work. Cats, while they they are certainly work, dogs you have to take them for walks and I don't know but I do I do love them and the cozy mystery which is yes full of animals because it takes place at a rescue shelter was actually inspired by my local rescue of like an independent sort of grassroots place that was started by this one woman I kid you not out of her apartment which is now a decent sized organization. And I got two of my four cats. They're all rescues, but two of them came from there. And so, yeah, the Cozy series was inspired by that rescue. And so there's dogs and cats. Let's say the name, Catskill Pet Rescue. Yes, the Catskill Pet Rescue. The first book, which is out now, is Forbidden Fatality, F-U-R. Because the thing about Cozy Mysteries is they make you come up with silly pun titles. And- The second book will be out in, we hope, November, and that one is Doggone Deadly. Oh my gosh, that is so cute. What are you doing? This is so exciting to me that you're writing 
I mean, you have multiple series. How are you doing all of this? I'm so blown I'm away. Very, I, very tired. Um, <laughs> you must well, really, really enjoy writing to be able to keep this I up. Do. I do. And some of it is that this is, you know, been over a number of years. I mean, the first book for Llewellyn was written in 2005. And I think I sold my first novel in, I think, 2009, 2010, something like that. So it's not like I did it all last week. I write usually two books a year, which, you know, some people write four. I don't know how they do it. Some people only write one. You know, it really depends. Fortunately, my day job is part-time. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of time and energy because I run an artist cooperative with almost 50 artists and it's, it is like herding cats. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of on duty even when I'm not at the shop doing paperwork there or waiting on customers or whatever. But, you know, it means that I can go to work in the morning, then run my errands, come home, check all my emails, take a nap, which is very important, feed the cats, feed myself and my housemate. And then, you know, after a little break in the evening, then I write. So I just plug away at it. Although I will confess this year, this last year and a half, it has been much more difficult. Everything yeah. has been, I, I was in denial about it. I don't know what was going on in my head for but the first six months. I thought I can do not only everything the same as I used to be able to do, but I'll even do more because now yeah, I'm I'll get my house clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I I remember that first three months in New York State, we were shut down for almost three months. You know, the store wasn't open and you couldn't really leave your house. And I thought, I'm going to get so much done. All of those things I wanted to sort through and throw away. And I'm going to clean my house and I'm going to write even more than usual. Uh, that would be a big no. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know what happened to that three months. I mean, I probably wrote the same amount that I wrote. I didn't write any extra. The house didn't get any cleaner. I literally, I don't know what happened. And yes, yeah, since then, everything takes more effort. Running my shop is a lot more complicated now than it was before. And trying to write, I don't have the focus that I normally would. And I'm tireder and I'm stressed. You know, my stress level is much higher than normal. And so it, it really has been a struggle. And I think people have to give themselves permission to own that and to just say, I can't expect from myself what I would expect in a normal time. This is not a normal time. Right. Fight the fights you can fight and you do the best you can. And then you get up the next day and you do it again and you treat yourself as well as possible, which for me means more chocolate than usual, but it's good chocolate. So it's health food. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of dark chocolate. And mm. uh, sadly, I, I have like a ritzy chocolate habit. So yeah, people need to go buy my books to keep me in the good chocolate. Yeah, well, <laughs> we definitely do. Is this part, do you have a, a ritual? Cause I'm listening to you talk about what you do in a day before you write, like you're a night writer. <laughs> you're, I'm you're actually writing. like, I normally pre COVID I wrote normally from seven to 10 thereabouts. Now maybe it's eight to 10 or eight to nine 30 because I'm tired or my brain poops out faster. And on the days when I don't work at my shop on the weekends and I'm off on Wednesdays, I actually 
because I'm so tired in the evenings now, I'm more likely to write, you know, earlier in the day, like I'll go out into my garden for a couple of hours and then I'll come in and write for a couple of hours. So yeah, it's sort of just pacing myself. But the book I'm working on now is the first book in all of the books I've ever written that I had to ask my editor for an extension. Never had to do it before. And it was two months and she said, oh, I wasn't going to be able to look at it until November when it's due now anyway. So no big deal. And now I'm looking at November going, man, that's close. Yeah, it's coming up. Yeah. Is there a ritual? Is there a chocolate ritual? How do you shut off all the noise of the day, all the things that happen before you're able to sit in the chair? And then speaking of focus, what do you do to get yourself into a place where you can just be there in the moment? Well, have a quality couple of hours. Part of it is I have wine with dinner and that helps to relax me and bring me down from the day a little bit. And I have fibromyalgia, so I'm always in a lot of pain by dinner time. And that helps sort of relax those things a little bit so that I'm in a better headspace. I mean, I, I can't have too much wine with dinner or then I can't write because, mm. you know, the wine does not help the writing. It just helps me sort of come down from the stresses of the day. And I do, yes, often have a piece of chocolate with dinner or a small amount <laughs> of ice cream because ice cream is also the food of the gods. Everyone knows that. And it does not have any calories if you, you know, had it after you ate a salad. But part of what I do is, I sit in the same place. I use my laptop. My desktop is normally used for things like sending emails and doing business stuff and doing my online banking or whatever. My desktop is everything else. My laptop, although it is what I'm talking on now because the desktop doesn't have a video camera or a microphone on it, but the desktop is everything else and the laptop is writing. So when I sit down, with the laptop on my lap, that sort of triggers the, oh, look, we're writing now. Mm -hmm. And if it's, if it's 7.30 and I have the laptop on my lap, it becomes this sort of automatic thing. It's a little bit like my group always starts our rituals by lighting sage and passing it around the circle. And, you know, we do that to sort of clear away the stresses of the day and, you know, cleanse ourselves but the other thing that it does is because we've been doing it for so long, it sends this subconscious signal to our brains and to our spirits that says, oh, we're in ritual space now. Here's the sage. It's time to focus. And that kind of thing, if you do it over and over again, it becomes almost like muscle memory for your brain. Oh, um, yeah. You're speaking my language. This is my kind of magic. I intentionally put little things like this all throughout my day. I guess mm -hmm. I just wanted to take my spirituality. Well, how they say in yoga, like take it off the mat. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this improves my concentration. This creates an automatic right. reaction. How can I do that in all the ways, you know? Many of my books are called, you know, everyday witchcraft, or you know, like I have the year in a day of everyday witchcraft. I consider myself an everyday witch because for me at this point in my practice, it is a whole lot less about ritual and casting spells and all of that sort of formal witchcraft stuff. And it's more about how I walk my path one foot at a time. I compost and I recycle because, you know, I'm a nature worshiping witch and that's part of my practice. 
everything I do, I do, I start out the day by greeting the gods. I mean, literally before I even get out of bed, I just say good morning and I ask them for help with my day. And if there's anything in particular that's going on, I may ask for help with that. And I try and send healing energy out to the people I know who need it, you know, that kind of thing. And then at night, when I get into bed, I thank them for the day, even the parts I didn't love so much because, you know, let's face it, you know, they were all there for something and thank them for, for the good stuff and the cats and all the rest of it. And so those sort of bookmark my days, you know, they bookend my days. I, I start with my connection to the gods and to magic, and I end with the connection to the gods and magic. And then, yeah, like you said, there's lots of little bits of things in between. Is it totally out of left field to ask you about the Baba Yaga series of the writer series? Because they're running out of time. They're magic too. So, so yeah, the Baba Yaga series was my first published series with Berkeley. And the Baba Yagas are based on the Russian fairy tale witches or mythology witches. Sometimes in the mythology, they're referred to as one witch. Sometimes they were referred to as sister witches. And so what I did with my books is I created these paranormal romances with these three Baba Yagas and the Baba Yaga was more of a, like a job title than it was an individual person. And so there's these three women who are these very powerful witches who come from this Russian background, but they're all very different. And, you know, I, I tap into the, the mythology in the Russian fairy tales, the Baba Yaga, lives in a hut on chicken legs that travels through the forest. So my first Baba Yaga book, there's Barbara. She lives in an Airstream trailer. She's transformed her chicken leg hut into an Airstream trailer. And they were associated with a dragon named Chudo Yudo. And so the dragon is disguised as a giant white pit bull. I had so much fun with those books. And one of the things that I liked about doing them is because they each had a different character. Each one of them could have her happily ever after with their romance. And then one of her sisters would have the next book. And then the writers were their sort of assistants, their helpers. And they were not witches. They were these wonderful, gorgeous men who had powers of their own and were, again, part of the mythology. And then they went on and had their own series. So yeah, it was, I love those books. I admit to a slight prejudice there too. The, the Baba Yaga books were really the books of my heart. I mean, not that I don't love all the books that I write, but they just, you know, I love mythology. I love witches. I love animals. And yeah, I got to put them all together with romance and like kissing and stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I can hear it when you speak about it. There's a joy and everybody loves Baba Yaga. Well, it's just such a cool myth. And when I, I was talking to my agent at that point, you know, I had written some books and we hadn't been able to sell them. And we were trying to figure out what I was going to write next to try and sell. And she said, well, I love all your books with witches in them. Could you do a paranormal romance with a witch character? And I said, well, yeah. And we both loved these sort of retold fairy tales. But I'm like, oh, they've all been used so much or the witchers are like the bad guys in them or something. And then I, I actually am from a Russian Jewish background. So I had heard the Baba Yaga stories and I thought, I'm not sure anybody's ever used the Baba Yaga. 
And I went looking and no, in fact, they hadn't. And so it was a brand new fun place to play. Plus, of course, you know, I got to just put my own spin on it, which was so much fun. And that was the book that got me, you know, my first fiction deal because, yeah, the editor who read them went, hey, nobody else ever did this. Oh, wow. I'm so sad that I don't have like three more hours to ask you about all of this because every answer creates more questions in my mind. I love I this. can come back again. Oh, that would be fabulous. Let's have you back on to promote some fiction because I have a lot of questions about that. I love that your website says crafting magic in fact and fiction. <laughs> I think that's so wonderful. And I love that you get to play in both worlds. And I imagine they inform each other. It's nice because, you know, when I finish a novel, sometimes my brain needs a break from that kind of writing. But then when I finish nonfiction, I'm like, okay, now my brain needs a break from that. And sometimes I do two of something in a row. It really depends on what my contracts look like at the time. But it is nice to play with both. And it means that I can reach sort of a wider audience because there are some people who only read the nonfiction. There are some people who only read the fiction. And thank goodness, there are a lot of my, my readers like both. The Cozy Mystery Series, which is the one that I'm doing right now, has been interesting because a lot of my nonfiction witchy readers came along with me for the witchy fiction. But I'm reaching a whole new audience with the Cozies People who have no interest in witchcraft whatsoever, but love the animals and love the, you know, the cozy mystery for people who aren't familiar with it. It's sort of mystery light. There's no violence. I mean, people do get killed off, which is fun. But, you know, they're very, I say they're not the meal, they're dessert. They're very light and they, they're they not intense. They don't even let me cry in them, which is just mean. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's no sex. There's, you know, there's usually like a romance in the background, but it can take like six books before they even kiss. You never, you know, it's not, yeah. that's not the focus. And so in a time like right now, I don't know about you. I can't read some of the darker books that I would normally, like I love urban fantasy, but some of my favorite authors are just too dark and intense for me to handle right now. We need a hug right now. Exactly. We, need, we need a so book hug. <laughs> yep. And you know, cozy mysteries are like a piece of chocolate, you yeah. know, they're, you know, you wouldn't want to only read those ever, although some people do, but boy, they sure are a nice break from reality. Yeah. And I mean, it, it depends on what you need. Some people's lives right. are hard. I can see how that could be their favorite genre. Oh, absolutely. Well, and in, you know, I've read a lot more cozy mysteries in the last year and a half than mm-hmm. I have before this because yeah, they're comfort food. And, yeah. you know, we all need comfort food right now. They're comfort food for the reader. And I have to say, it's something I can write right now. I don't know that I could write a darker thing, yeah. you know, so it works out it, and they are fun, you know? Yeah. And animals. <laughs> and animals. So, yeah. So people listening right now on the go, I'm going to link to all the things, but for people on the go, can you tell them how to find you on social media and your website? My website is the very sophisticated 
DebraBlakeAuthor.com. If you nice. can remember my name and you can spell Debra, which is the long biblical way, Deborah, <laughs> you can find me everywhere because I don't have much imagination for a writer. I'm Debra Blake on Twitter. I'm Debra Blake on Facebook. On Instagram, I'm Debra Blake Author because somebody else had already taken Deborah Blake. But yeah, if you go to my website, DebraBlakeAuthor.com, I have links to all of my social media and I have an Etsy shop and I have a Patreon and, you know, a few other missile, a blog, which mostly gets used to do giveaways now because I'm too tired to blog. Yeah. So nice. you know, those, those are the places to find all of the links. And I'm very accessible online too. If you have a question for me, ping me and ask me and I'll answer it. Well, I have one last question for you today, this time, and it's the same question I ask everyone, but I feel like you're especially <laughs> qualified to answer. What is one tip you have for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Never give up. Hmm. My first book wasn't published until I was in my 40s. I have serious chronic illnesses. I was on disability for 10 years and everybody thought I would never get better. And I'm not 100% by any means, but I just chipped away at it bit by bit until I could build myself some kind of a life. Never give up. You have to have faith in yourself and your ability to somehow make the changes that you need to make in order to achieve your goals. I believe in you. You can do it. Oh my gosh. I love a late bloomer. Thank you so much for saying that. That is going to uplift so many people. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. I had a blast. Yay. A book pushy, book nerdy episode for my book nerd friends. Don't forget if you want to enter the giveaway, leave a review on iTunes for the Hippie Witch podcast and then let me know. You can email me at joannadevoe at gmail.com or shout me out over on Twitter. Let me know that you left a review and I am going to be drawing for my hat December 15th and sending the winner the Eclectic Witch's Book of Shadows or the Everyday Witch Oracle by Deborah Blake. I don't even care how cheesy and promotional this episode has been. Nobody asked me to act this way. This is my genuine enthusiasm for the holidays and book nerdy things. And Deborah's just got a contagious personality and it brought this out in me. So I hope you had fun listening to this interview. I will be back. I have a couple new interviews for you here in December. And until we meet again, happy holidays. Much love to you. Peace. <laughs>